Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hubcast. This is a podcast for the Hub community where we're taking a chance to check in with folks from the community and have some conversations about times that we have been wrong, times we've been wrong in our childhood, mistakes we've made, and uh, times we've been wrong or we've missed the mark in our faith. Today we're going to be talking to Chad Buseman. One of my good friends, we directed at Ryerson together. We once lived in a uh, pretty gross trailer together. Lots of great experiences, and he's got a lot of uh, great insights and uh, experience to draw from. So hope you enjoy this conversation. It's me, Adam, and Chad Buseman. Here we go. Okay, welcome, welcome, welcome to uh, the Hubcast episode whatever, because we're not necessarily releasing these in the same order as we record, but it's episode Chad. That's what it's, it's not a number, it's episode Chad. Uh, We have uh, our good friend Chad, aka of the fame of (laughs) at the cool director, the Instagram sensation. Um possibly TikTok sensation in the future, possibly Vine sensation if he went in a time machine into the past. Um, I was pretty big on Vine, I would say. I was a big Viner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let me ask you this to uh, date things a little bit. Were you a MySpacer or was that too early? Oh, I was a MySpacer in the sense that I would just copy whatever song my sister had on her profile page. And set it as mine, and then she would come into the room and yell at me. Um, I sort of missed the generation. I wasn't also really into music until I was like later elementary school, so I didn't really like listen to music. Um, That's crazy but I like I like hit the end of that generation. Now. Yeah, exactly. I would go back and be a MySpacer if I could. Awesome. I'd be all into that. Are you, I guess yeah. I guess the whole domain's shut down because I was like, maybe you can. Maybe it's just a thing that still exists, but no one's on it. But. I imagine the domain is, is shut down. Yeah, I think it's like a whole new platform now. They do some crazy thing that's not like what it used to be. Typing in myspace.com. Oh, yeah, it is. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a thing. It's just nothing. Yeah, like if you were one of the staff at like Bing or MySpace, that must be so demoralizing. Like just to just like be like, I'm putting in important work here. But you know, deep down, like no one's using this. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one time we, uh, we messaged MSN. We found like a support email for MSN Messenger. This is in high school. <laughs> Uh, and we emailed them and somebody responded and I was like, oh my gosh, you still have a PR person. What do they do? Like, what's their job? Just, just, just for you guys. I know just for the, the one email are. that's like, Hey, what happened to MSN? And they're like, well, <laughs> and it's just a scripted thing, but they have to put it out yeah. all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the only email they get. <laughs> yeah. If you stretch way back, I don't know if you guys would have ever had, just cause I'm a little older than, than both of you. Would you have ever had ICQ? Don't even know what that is. That was, that was the, or, that was. Yeah, that so that was MSN before it was MSN, um, and uh, that was like way back in I, I actually like like actually late nineties. Oh wow! So bef- before I think even Messenger was a thing, but th- that also made me think when you talked about the they have the, still have the PR person, like what if, and just like the people who work at like the people who worked at Blockbuster in the last like two or three years, like and I don't mean like I don't mean the, the people who worked at a Blockbuster, but like the people like in the head office, like the like the executives, like the central, like 
national or whatever like global team of blockbuster when they knew like yeah we've got months left of, of our existence and just like how checked mm-hmm. out everyone would be maybe like like i just picture everyone like the movie office space where they're just like i do about 15 minutes of real work yeah <laughs> but before we get too deep into <laughs> reminiscing and talking about great um social media before it was even called social media pop culture memories internet memories um chad could you introduce yourself and uh let us know uh where you're coming from maybe uh some of your uh, camp uh or you know church connections yeah and uh and yeah let us know uh who you are we know who you are <laughs> we love you uh but maybe everyone right. who's listening yeah the occasional silver laker who's like who is this man who's just doing this podcast <laughs> oh that's at yeah. the cool director oh, i've heard that's... legends of him <laughs> Isn't he that guy on followed him for years? <laughs> I've followed exactly. I've smashed that subscribe exactly. button, but here he is. Yeah, no, no, I'm Chad. Um, <laughs> I was the assistant director at Ryerson for a couple summers. Oh, I yeah. did a whole bunch of roles uh, over at Ryerson. Loved my time there. Uh, nowadays, though, I, I work in the United Church. I'm a children's ministry coordinator at Emmanuel United Church in Waterloo. Uh, but I'm also actually a teacher. Uh, my first year of teaching this year, very weird year to start, but I'm a, I'm a music and special mm-hmm. education teacher. Um, so if either of those things interest you, even if I've never met you, feel free to like shoot me an Instagram message. I'd love to chat about stuff like that. Yeah. You are like, a music, I want to say, uh, Renaissance person, but <laughs> like, I don't even, there's probably a better word. Like you play all things. Well, maybe not all things, but you play a lot and not just like play, but I think you, you arranged, you compose. Uh, I I tried to. I went through a little like phase where I was like, oh, I love composition, and then I realized that like it was really boring for me, so <laughs> I stopped doing that. I'll leave that to the pros. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I play a lot of instruments. Uh, in high school, I just like spent a lot of my free time playing instruments, and uh, it's funny because now I teach music, and I'd say like fifty percent of my job is like listening to recorders, and I'm like, oh, all this work in my life, and <laughs> I spend it just like listening to screaming sounds through a tube. I was gonna say, you, and you, you you literally mean like recorder, as in the oh yeah, like the little yeah. stick that uh, <laughs> makes parents tremble in their homes. Uh, did you have to take that in elementary school? Because I remember some. I moved to a school when I moved to Mississauga for a couple of years in middle school, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we've taken recorder like our whole <laughs> elementary career," and it was like the last year of doing it, and I had to like learn it. Which like even in grade six, it's not like it's crazy hard, but I was just like. I didn't know anything. So I came from a region that didn't do anything with recorders to one that like they were recorder like fanatics. Yeah. They had a million recorder subscribers. Did you have to take it in school? It, so the music curriculum set up by Ontario states that you need to talk about instrumentation and reading notation. Uh, so for a lot of teachers, if they have access to recorders, they'll just use that as an easier way to talk about notes and uh, to talk about reading sheet music. That makes sense. Uh, so if you played recorder, it meant that your teacher had recorders and they wanted you to play recorder. Uh, like the school I taught at this year, they actually have ukuleles and they teach all that through ukulele playing, uh, which is way more bearable, way cooler. Yeah. Um, I, and I would think way more fun for m- most kids. I mean, a hundred percent shout outs to the kids who loved recorder. Not, not, uh, not trying to, not trying to dunk on them, but, yeah. uh, I just feel like I see a lot more ukes, especially in the camp scene. Yeah. I think I've, I've seen a lot of folks with the, those ukuleles out. So, yeah, well, I'm a firm believer that if kids enjoy the instrument they're playing, they're probably more likely to keep going with it. Like somebody who learns ukulele in grade six will probably one day be like, oh, I know how to play a C on this thing. Blink, blink. And like, <laughs> it'll bring back that little bit of music into their life. So that's beautiful. I'm, I'm down for that. overthrowing recorder usage in Ontario. <laughs> yeah, you just got to just, just, just to disrupt the system yeah. a little bit, you know, just to stick it to the recorder. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Rip tide over hot cross buns any day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh yeah, the the big recorder in their industry is uh it's time to take them down a peg. Yeah, exactly. To, They've had it good for too long. Exactly, yeah. They 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 they're getting a little too high up there. Yeah. Um Chad, tell us, uh, how did you uh, originally get connected to Ryerson Camp, which I believe was your, I know you've worked at a couple of of our camps, but uh, I think Ryerson was the first one that you were at, or maybe you were a camper somewhere else. Yeah, that's kind of a a weird story that I don't talk about a lot. Uh, I had zero connection to- Oh, we're getting deep in. Yeah, I I had never attended a United Church Camp, never heard of it. I actually grew up in the CRC. Uh, I grew up in Brampton, and my mom was part of a church uh a church plant in burlington so she helped like sort of form a church and they were kind of like core members and that sort of disassembled one day and we moved on to united church because we had some friends who were at wellington square um and i remember when i was there i had no interest in camp at all i was a very quiet shy kid did not like talking and caitlin belanger who was the youth leader at that time sort of convinced me to do lid camp which was like a nightmare for me like to leave my video games for a week to go into the middle of nowhere (laughs) is like horrifying but i ended up doing it i was the only kid at lid camp that year that had never been to camp before uh and it was an absolute blast yeah so leadership development camp was your first camp experience oh yeah and the funny thing about it all is i i had two placements at ryerson i had one that was like a normal camp week (laughs) and i had another placement tim's heard the story had another placement that was during youth camp uh and during my regular camp placement at ryerson the time where you probably would have like formed any sort of opinion on the camp on my first day I felt kind of sick. And I remember Ben Dote, who was the assistant director, came over the hill and we were doing our morning watch routine. Uh, and he was like, hey, Chad, you don't look very good. And I was like, yeah, I might go sit down for a bit. And I started walking away and actually just like puked straight off the side of the cliff. Uh, oh. So they sent me home and I never actually had a lid placement at Ryerson besides the youth camp experience. Uh, but for some reason, Amazing. something just called me to Ryerson and I applied. And uh, that was the camp that I decided to go to as a staff member and i loved every moment of it i have zero regrets when it comes to working at ryerson wow that is uh incredible especially because this uh, it probably isn't the first or last time we'll talk about um things being flung off the cliff at ryerson <laughs> uh and uh also yeah that you could have had such a like especially just thinking about like sense memory i was just talking uh the other day about one time when i was sick in university and I was like, had the flu for like three days and I had to eat something and I ate like this like baba ganoush dip and I couldn't eat baba ganoush for like eight years because I just would get nauseous every time after. Mm-hmm. So you had a pretty like visceral experience there in one of your first experiences at Ryerson. And yet, I don't know if you call it then the, the power of the Holy Spirit to still call <laughs> you back to this place where you got violently ill. Yeah. Not to mention that they would hire me after I like threw up off the side of the cliff and like I, I spent <laughs> the entire like day guy. picking up their health cabin. Yeah, they were like, oh, the puke guy. Hey. <laughs> the puke guy. At the, pu- the puke director. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it was, uh, you know, very, very thoughtful because there's there's no uh, there's no cleanup needs, not even yeah. uh, not even uh, in, in the bathroom or anything. So they were probably like, yeah, this guy's really... F- this guy's really uh, thoughtful, you know, he, and he really, he performs in, in the clutch, you know, in, in that, this moment of being under pressure, he knew like, where's the, uh, where's the easiest yeah. place to just get rid of great this, problem uh, solving uh, skills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, just looping back. Uh, so for those who don't know, le- uh, uh, leadership development camp is, um, is a two week 
uh, camp that travels around to a bunch of the different United Church camps here in Southern Ontario to um, Cave Springs uh, and Ryerson and Silver Lake, and also has a has a canoe trip where you uh, in Algonquin Park where you bring all your stuff and you like it's a backcountry ca- canoe trip, and uh, so the that for a first camp experience, it's a, it's a pretty intense two weeks, both um, physically and in terms of like leadership and in, and spiritually. There's like two sessions a day often, um, and so that was why I thought it's pretty incredible that that was your first camp experience because that could um, that could be a lot for someone who's a never done camp before, and also like you said, like never really um, other than being at Wellington uh, youth group never really done the United Church thing before. So um, you, you you mentioned a little bit that you, you were able to be convinced um, uh, not to uh, just play video games that week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what was it that, you, you, can you tell a little more about why you decided to like kind of step out and, and dive into what is like a, a pretty big yes to say a thing to say yes to in terms of, of a camp experience for the first time. Yeah. Well, truthfully, I think that there was a little bit of just like everyone around me saying, you got to do this, that little bit of peer pressure. Uh, and that's funny. Cause like a lot of times as a person, I'm like, Oh, you need to actively avoid like other people pressuring you into decisions. Uh, mm-hmm. But to have like my parents being like, Hey, you should really consider doing this, even though they've never pushed me into position like that. And to have like these new friends, like Caitlin Blanche, I had just joined the youth group like who already believed in my leadership skills that I hadn't even really shown yet to have them tell me to step into this position and to take this risk is something that I think really motivated me at the time. Uh, Again, like I was really shy. I'm not a quiet person, but at the time I was, and I think a lot of that stemmed from like being worried about negative recognition. So to have a positive Mm -hmm. thing sort of tied to that was really motivational to me. Oh, that's awesome. And uh... yeah, and man, I think I think there would be a ton of people, um, and probably some listening who, uh, yeah, Caitlin Belanger as a youth leader has been incredibly uh, formational and like life changing, uh, both at Ryerson and at Wellington Square. I just know so many people that yeah were um, had just incredible life changing experiences uh, with uh, under her her leadership and her as a leader so and that's a pretty that was a pretty great place for you to have landed yeah Um, and it speaks to how we as people can motivate younger people just without even meaning to like mm -hmm. i'm sure at no point caitlin belanger was like i will single-handedly lead this person to uh their future career path and future like (laughs) self (laughs) like she probably was just like yo do lid camp i'm gonna go home and play with my cat or whatever and that had a huge impact (laughs) on me so checks out (laughs) yeah yeah, of course, because she is uh, a music teacher as well. Yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think that that's that's a big connection for you too. That that um, that was an inspiration for you to dive into what your vocation is. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, that's kind of a perfect segue, especially as you sort of talked about, um, started kind of hinting a little bit of on uh, on uh, changing your mind about things or saying yes where you might have uh, uh, where where. Uh, you said you had no regrets, like being at Ryerson or doing Lid, and and so one might say that had you uh, had you just stayed home and maybe like played video games. And again, this is just wanna just wanna clarify. This is from like there's some video game like fanatics in this conversation yeah. <laughs> um, that you might have been uh, that you might have been wrong or off the mark had you uh, had you decided to just um, this is what year what what year was your Lid twenty twelve twenty twelve twenty twelve. So what video games? Oh, you, I so- I. I bought Minecraft the week before I went to Lid Camp. Do you know how hard oh, it is to play Minecraft is, for one week? 
and then to leave wow. it was a struggle <laughs> that is like i've seen blocks in the real world <laughs> Honestly, man like actually <laughs> As someone who like yeah, when a, when a new game like we were talking about, I've been playing Zelda Breath of the Wild like basically all, all winter. That first week when you discover a game that just like captivates you, it it is really hard to be like I'm gonna like put this down and go away for like an entire, especially with lid like two weeks, possibly placements after that. So um, kudos to you, Chad. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, part of the, the idea behind what were these conversations is just talking about ways that um, ways that we we look back and and find that we're off the mark mm. um, and not as much to say, uh, Oh, we found it and we're perfect now or we're everything. We're, we're, we're completely, uh, we don't need any uh, room for growth anymore. Um, so not as much about getting it right. Uh, these conversations, uh, but about the power of reflecting on like when we've got it wrong uh, and, uh, and how that is a catalyst for us to grow and transform transformation mm-hmm. being this, central piece of what it means to um to follow jesus and and to have faith uh can you tell us um can you tell us you already had some great childhood stories but i just i would love to get a couple more tell us about a time that you were wrong uh maybe when you were a kid oh i have so many good ones i was a very dumb kid i will say and that is something that i embrace <laughs> as a aspect of my life um i think a, a really big one that i always think about and that people still make fun of me for uh, when I was in grade five, I was in a four or five split class for like two weeks. Uh, and I remember I was eating Starburst one day uh, and I was like unwrapping the Starburst, you know, pink is the best. And one of the grade four students uh, started poking fun at me and said, why would you unwrap the Starburst when the, the wrapper around it is edible? Um, so for years and years and years, my entire adulthood, I think until I was like 21 or something, I ate Starburst with the wrappers on, wax paper and what? all. Yep. I have probably consumed so much wax paper that, like, I'm surprised that. Oh no! I can still do. <laughs> but that those are like pure wax. Yeah, like, like not it's, even, you can't eat it. That's not okay. You're just <laughs> eating wax paper. And I remember I was at camp one time even, and I literally had gone to Bulk Barn and bought like a bulk bag of Starburst, and I was just eating them by like the handful. And somebody was like, "Hey, you can't eat that. You'll get really sick." <laughs> so the, the person who finally pointed you uh in the right direction was a stranger at bulk barn uh no it was somebody at ryerson i can't remember who it was i wish i but i was so embarrassed i remember i was like oh haha i'm so quirky eating starburst wrappers i was like oh my gosh this whole time yeah this whole time that's amazing shout out to the kid who convinced you of that for years and years and years yeah i always think back and i wonder like did that kid truly think that you can eat starburst wrappers too or do you yeah maybe he wasn't messing with (laughs) you yeah like I, I just don't know to have the confidence to walk up to a, a grade five student who's a year ahead of you and to say something that controversial and yet so brave is like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> controversial. Oh man. That is uh that is amazing. Yeah. I'm, I hope that your digestive system is doing better since uh, in the last like few years of your life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it comes and goes, you know, <laughs> it giveth the taketh. <laughs> It's a it's a beautiful testament to like the power of the uh kind of what isn't perceived to be normal because I haven't I haven't tried a a Starburst with the wrapper but I imagine it's worse like I, I imagine the wrapper doesn't make the experience better and yet you're like oh I'm supposed to be doing this so I will eat these wrappers for years is it is it's an incredible thing it's a very human thing we've all been there yeah I'm sure there's some sort of like deep Christian object lesson in that. About like unwrapping your <laughs> Starburst or something, but 
Yeah. <laughs> that's a total thing. Today we're gonna leave our uh, starbursts at the cross. Yeah, we'll exactly. Present all the things that we've consumed, and I can see everybody like crying have. and nailing their starburst wrapper yeah. to the cross. And Chad's sitting at the foot of the cross, just eating the wrappers <laughs> straight <laughs> off the nails, scooping them up. Uh, there's uh, uh, that that this could be a whole new atonement theory, and I don't even I don't even know how to to really suss it out. But there's there's something there. There's something there. Yeah. Oh man. Um, that was too good. Do, do, uh, just because that was so good. Is there? You said you had a couple. Are there any other childhood um, embarrassing <laughs> moments that you want to share oh, with us? Oh man, I I know. Like like when I was a kid, I had a friend named Bikram, and it was great because I was like kind of a dumb child, and Bikram just kind of went with my dumbness because like you know he's my friend. He enjoys spending time with me, but we used to like love making paper airplanes. Uh, and I remember we didn't want to throw them towards the road, so we would like make like like maybe thirty of them and throw them towards our house. And every so often they would get stuck on the roof. Uh, and my bright idea is to throw another paper airplane up there to rescue the first one. Um, and the great thing about that is like, we'd throw like all 30 paper airplanes up there. They'd all get stuck. And then I would just leave them to this day. I have no clue if they like blew off the house or if my, my parents took them down or, but just like stuff like that. Like, I don't know where the reasoning was on that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not like uh, let me grab a ball or something that could like something heavy that could knock it down. Yeah, but, exactly. Like, it's a rescue operation. Just throw another, paper airplane up there because we used to give them all characters so i think in my mind i was like oh this one's like a superhero you know so he should be able to go up there and save oh that's awesome yeah <laughs> um can you tell us about a time that you have made uh, maybe maybe more recently uh oh. or like maybe post childhood or maybe not because <laughs> i'm just loving childhood stories uh about time you made a, fu- a funny or 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 uh or kind of dumb mistake maybe in a maybe in a camp setting or something Ooh. like that I this one's kind of camp setting, but it's also kind of outside of camp. Yeah, go for um, it. I keep setting things on fire. Like I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I, I recently like became super obsessed with cooking. Uh, not as much baking, but like cooking really nice food for like really cheap prices. Uh, like in university, I would eat a bowl of craft dinner and watch Hell's Kitchen, and I'd be like, "Wow, these people suck at cooking." And then I was like, "Oh, maybe I should actually <laughs> learn." Um, but like, there's a. I just want to catch that as a great, uh, as a great moment of self awareness. Yeah, exactly. Of, of our culture of of critique, uh, <laughs> watching people who because I think the people on, on those shows like actually are professional chefs. They're just in like a really ridiculous. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like but, the pressure is ridiculous on them, yeah. so they make silly mistakes and stuff. But meanwhile, <laughs> I like cooked craft dinner with like basil margarine that I got from a sandwich bar <laughs> <laughs> and water from the sink because we don't have milk. But like, um, I, I'm really good at cooking. Like, I really enjoy it. I've gotten the the habit down. I find that I really connect with ingredients. But I am just so clumsy. Um, like, I preheated a burner the other day, and I had groceries with my meal because I kind of like separate out my ingredients. And I just like put the grocery bag on top of the burner, and just like <laughs> it burst into flames. Of course, because that's what happens. <laughs> I like inhaled probably a good amount of plastic. Honestly, oh man, your digestive I know, I system must my... just be like reeling wax, yeah, wax, burning plastic, <laughs> plastic shards in my nose and stuff. <laughs> but even like yesterday, uh, I just moved in this house that I'm in currently, like two days ago, and I live with a bunch of awesome housemates who are also camp people. Um, but like yesterday, I made my first meal in the house, and I wanted to bake broccoli and put garlic on it, but I totally forgot that garlic burns way faster than broccoli would in the oven. Um, oh, and yeah. I just like scorched this garlic and it's in the broccoli and i was like trying to hide it because i'm like oh this is my first time i talked up how i'm all good at cooking now but i I gotta eat this broccoli covered in burnt pieces of garlic so that my housemates aren't like uh 
that looks like it's on fire. It's just, <laughs> it's just this weird thing that happens to me all the time. You know, I've set oven mitts on fire um, when I'm like picking up a pan and just like catches the corner and bursts into flames. Yeah. And, I've been there. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's why I've I've done pretty much every role at camp, but I will never be a head chef or in the kitchen because like there's no way I wouldn't cause serious <laughs> harm to myself. <laughs> They've got those very advanced uh, sprinkler systems, at least. So yeah, sure. should catch things fast. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, if you want to set those off, I'm not sure. I think they're expensive, so <laughs> maybe I'd be paying a little bit out of pocket there if I kept doing it. <laughs> All right, uh, Chad. Getting into uh, a little, a little more of the meat, a yeah. little more of the the, the fun here uh, of uh, of diving in deep th- these conversations. Um, uh, you, would you sh- could you share with us uh, something that you were wrong about mm. in your um, in your faith journey and your in your uh, spiritual experiences uh, as you've uh, as you've grown? Uh, could you share some, maybe something you thought um, I, I missed the mark here, or, uh. or I was maybe you might even just identify as like, yeah, I was wrong about this. Yeah, I was reflecting a bit on this last night, just thinking about what sort of topics I want to talk about. Um, let's, I'll run it back a little bit. Uh, this is a little bit more recent, but I did teacher's college. I just graduated last year, started teaching this year. Um, but for anybody out there who wants to go to teacher's college, it's like pretty much all self-reflection. So like every single night I would get reflection assignments from every class. I was writing like four, five, six reflections a night. Uh, but the result is you get really critical and you get really aware of your personal philosophies. Uh, but especially mm. about mm. education, like anything to do with teaching kids, like uh, with kids expertise and skills is like, I'm constantly thinking about it and thinking about how that plays into my life. Uh, and I think a big thing that I've noticed recently is we have this approach to learning and to teaching where the things we need to learn have to have like a right or a wrong answer. Like no matter mm. what the subject is, it's less about like what the students can learn and what they can do. It's more about whether they got like the right information or the right answers, you know, in music, did they play the song right? Uh, when I give them my art supplies, did they use it in the right way to make the right kind of painting? Um, but I think that that's really dangerous. It's a dangerous approach to information because it sort of uh, teaches kids that they need to figure things out when sometimes it's best to reframe questions and to think in different ways. Um, and this is still embedded like in me now. I think about all the time, like the times that I, I, make mistakes or like I don't do things correctly and how stressed and nervous about that I get. Uh, and that's like, mm. especially big uh, when it comes to faith and talking about faith topics. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Cause growing up, I would always think about like some sort of uh, big moral issue and I would approach scripture and be like, all right, let me figure out how this works. Uh, what is the right way to approach this? What is the wrong way to approach this? But the main thing that I think I had wrong in my faith journey is believing that God can be mm. defined by true and false answers and that there's an answer that fits these big questions. Mm. Um, in a weird way, like I've come over the course of my spiritual journey to conclude that like a little bit of agnosticism actually makes me stronger in my faith. Uh, being willing to like take these questions of right or wrong and to sort of reframe them um, outside of that neoliberal lens of like, did I get the correct answer? Instead, thinking about questions that I actually can explore. Mm. Yeah, I, j- just, I think that's... Uh... That's amazing. And, and a great, um, that's sort of the, actually, uh, you, you know, Olivia talked about this a, a little bit too, uh, in her episode. And that, that's a little bit of like sort of the tension that we're leaning into mm-hmm. here is of course, recognizing that, um, and we, we've mentioned a couple of times that, yeah, that the goal of course is not, um, to, to declare most things wrong and just the things that we believe at this moment or in a future date. Right. Yeah. Um, 
and and yet also recognizing then that um that there's a power in yeah like you said the anxiety that comes uh in our society over um being wrong or being thought of as being wrong um that that uh, a sense of normalizing that um can bleed uh, a lot of that away and also recognize like uh, almost like t- take the negative power o- away from it um and being able to lean into going like yeah there's um there's a whole there's a reason especially when it comes to faith that god is um mystery there's just mm. these endless dimensions that um we we not only could we not ever completely plumb the depths of um but uh we wouldn't want to uh and that essentially i can't remember who says this if it's eugene peterson or someone probably the idea of like a god that we <laughs> a god that we know everything about uh becomes an idol because yeah. then that's a god that we we put in a box and can control and so um yeah i really appreciate you uh you you diving into that and and especially just like kind of naming that as a um uh as a facet of something that you've personally uh walked through mm-hmm. and i think that kind of ties into like if I bring it back to education, you know, we have these low stakes where it's like, okay, if I get this math question wrong, I'm going to fail my test. But then we grow up and we get into these really high stakes situations where now it's like, oh, if I approach faith wrong, am I going to do the wrong thing? You know, am I going to doom myself? It like people mm-hmm. take their beliefs that they've learned from others and they sort of stress about those things and they try and find the right or wrong answer to that. And then it becomes sort of like a high stakes game that affects our whole life. I think like a good example mm-hmm. when I was growing up at camp and especially in like, uh, in the church, I would always think about that eternal question of like, what happens when we die, right? And then I would grab my Bible and I would dig through it and I'd try to find scriptures. Maybe I'd look up the word death and try and find stuff and figure out, okay, what's going to happen when I die? Like, am I going to be a conscious? You know, am I going to disappear? Um, but the truth is, you can never really find an answer to concepts like that from the Bible. So then you got to like yeah. kind of reframe the question. So for me, I think a big step in my spiritual journey was being able to take these scary questions like, what happens when I die? And instead think, you know, well, what happens when I'm alive? I know what being alive is like. I know what it means to feel joy and to help others. Uh, and how can I take my faith and apply it to that question instead and bring joy to other people's experiences rather than thinking about these questions that I may never even find an answer to? Not that there's no value in thinking about what happens when you die, but <laughs> instead reframing yeah. it and thinking about me personally, where am I going to grow and help others uh, when I look through my faith? Mm-hmm. That's so good. I'm interested, um, you mentioned like, you know, you can't find this answer in the Bible kind of thing. And, you know, having that, that view where you can, you know, hold the Bible a little looser. Um, do you like, obviously, so you're, you're working at a church right now. You're still in a place where you're Mm -hmm. like, you know, giving some weight to, uh, the Christian story and you're, you're doing, you're doing some level of like teaching kids about it. Um, so what, uh, what role would you say the Bible should play like what 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 is the bible if it's not a book full of answers to you yeah that's a great question and i think that would be a perfect example of a question that i may never know the correct answer to right (laughs) um like i think the bible is incredible and there's all these wonderful stories and tales of like peace and mercy and uh, love and also tales of like suffering and hardships that people went through and i think that we can learn Mm -hmm. through that in our modern experience um but to not accept the fact that there's a bit of overreading that can happen in the Bible that can really impact you, especially if you're somebody who's like gets oh, yeah. anxious about topics or like if you're a member of a, a group that may be impacted by a biblical text. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a really hard thing to sort of approach that as a literal uh, word for word guide on how to live your life and not feel a little bit of anxiety. 
So it's hard. Like, uh, thankfully when I teach in church, I'm teaching like, you know, four or five year olds. So most of our learning is like, this is the arc. Uh, and I don't have to really approach those <laughs> questions uh, and give those hard answers, but just going through some of the more basic plot. Yeah, exactly. It makes me wonder though, like what that sort of looks like and how I integrate that into my uh, teaching even in the church. Mm. Yeah, that, that's really, and I think just such an important thing to, um, yeah, to kind of call attention to, because I think that that, um, I was, I was with the Guelph Subhub uh, uh, the last couple of weeks and we were going through some Old Testament stuff and just kind of discussing that um, kind of exactly what, we, what you're drawing attention to, which is particularly like in, in the Jewish consciousness um, uh, that's, that's being taking place around the writings of the Old Testament. Like there's, there's virtually no mention of a- afterlife because they didn't really, they didn't have a concept of that, or at least they didn't, to, we, to our knowledge, they didn't think about that or write about that. That at least wasn't a big focus for them, yeah. um, which is why we see the prophets um, focusing very much on how is Israel treating um, the poor and, and, and the immigrant and the widow. And, and then you see that theme reflected again uh, in Jesus. And, and, and it's been cool to dive into, um, I mean, also in a Tuesday night um, sort of liberation theology community with a few camp people as well. Cool. Um, and so diving into some of the New Testament stuff and um, and seeing that, yeah, there is, then Jesus does talk about like kind of the cosmic stuff uh, in there. But certainly when you really dive into the gospels, just seeing that the, the, the vast, vast focus um, of what we f- find out about Jesus's life and ministry is on the here and now and mm-hmm. on, on the, the, this world. And I think that it's a, uh, it's a, it's been a huge, um, there's been a huge deficit in the, in a lot of the church experiences that I've, um, encountered or been around or been part of, uh, that has come from colonialism, that this idea of a flat reading of scripture, um, that, that doesn't, that actually doesn't take scripture seriously enough, um, because it's just, just trying to look at the surface and not mind what's beneath mm. and mind context and audience and, uh, and also an, an eschatology, like you said, that is a, that that forms a lot of us when we're young, and I would definitely include myself in that. And in, in the, that big question of like, well, what happens when I die? Um, which I think just ends up there's so much then energy that gets spent uh, on on that question that Jesus is far less concerned with yeah. than what happens to my neighbor right here in front of me, and what how can I be a part of um, bringing them life yeah. uh, here and now? So. Yeah, I just really appreciate naming that. I always say like uh like I the amount of time I've spent asking myself uh what happens when I die, meanwhile people are dying around me in my right. communities, in my streets, you know, people are the victim of uh oppression and victims of uh inequities and when have I stopped and asked myself, okay, what could I be doing for them instead? And I think that's kind of a big step in my spiritual journey to be willing to step away from those big questions. And instead, just focus myself on the things that I know I was uh, sort of made and given the abilities to look at and to ask questions about there. Yeah, that the focus of what happens when I die versus what will happen when I live. Yeah, that's 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 really exactly that's really good. As you've uh, as you've gone through uh, this process and and uh, and grown in in your life and your faith and in recognizing these things what are some of the things that have sort of helped you um along with that obviously you mentioned like teachers college in this past Mm -hmm. year um but judging kind of by your story like even sort of before that especially coming from a few different um church spaces uh you know you've 
mentioned that first you you were in, with the CRC Church and then the United Church and then the, and then the camp community, which in itself is is sort of different even than a lot of like the United Church too. So you had certainly like a bit of a diversity of experiences. And so what has um, what has helped you along in, in the process of um, sort of asking these questions mm. and, and growing? I I think the biggest step in my journey that pushed me towards thinking about these things and to figure this all out was more focusing on like my experiences, my beliefs in regard to like LGBTQ people in the church and from the lens of Christianity. Cause I think that's where, especially like today and even in our community, there's a big debate about whether it's okay for queer people to be in the church, what the Bible says about that, what the juxtaposition is uh, and how that works. Right. And I think for me, cause I grew up as a queer individual in the church. I think it's, it's a big question that was always on my mind was like, am I reading the Bible? Am I ignoring the text? Is it actually okay to believe these things and to experience them? Uh, but in actuality, like things are pretty vague and there's never really going to be like a correct answer of like, can people be gay and also be Christian? Um, and for me, I think a big turning point was when I actually stepped outside of the church. Uh, I attended this conference a while back for this group called Generous Space Ministries. And they hosted this retreat and it was basically for like queer people and allies. They could come, they could worship, they could engage in fellowship. Uh, but there was no religious expectations. So it was it was kind of like Christian-based, but you didn't have to go in with answers. You didn't have to go in with a belief, with a like personal thesis. Uh, and if you had those, that's great. That could be part of your experience, but it didn't have to be. And your goal was to not judge other people around you. Uh, and I think that sort of helped me reframe my question. Instead of asking, like, is it right or wrong to be queer in the church? Uh, I, I instead focused on, like, what does good things look like? Like, what does it mean to be welcoming? Uh, I think a big thing is like we had a, a communion one day. We just like had communion. Everyone is invited and watching like person after person in this big hundreds of thousands of people going up, taking communion and just like crying and experiencing all these emotions because they've never been invited to the table as them on their mm -hmm. authentic selves before. Like that was a big turning point. I was like, wait, this is what God's love looks like. This is what joy and what uh, happiness looks like. And I may never know like what the actual right or wrong approach to queer theology is but i know that that's something that i want to be a part of and i want to engage in is like inviting people from all different backgrounds not even just queer but like people who are racialized communities and are often forgot about in our very white churches <laughs> inviting them in yeah. and making them part of this table and part of this celebration uh that is the belief that jesus died for us and we can live as our authentic selves uh, and I think that really pushed me into being like, okay, it's okay to reframe your questions and it's okay to not have a right or wrong answer. It's okay to disagree with somebody else, uh, but you got to reframe what you're looking at and what your goal is as a, a Christian. Oh man, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, man, thanks for sharing that. Especially just, just that experience of being in, in community in, in that, in that moment must've been just incredible. And it, 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 it reverberates uh, just to hear it and just to hear even just your sharing of it um, as just this, this this moment, whether you want to call it Holy Spirit encounter or, or just epiphany moment or, or whatever. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. And, and I think it, it's really, it's, that's what's been so great to just have conversations with different people from, from our community. Um, I just think it's really uh, beautiful to see um people with very a diversity of experiences and and ideas and beliefs um in conversation with each other and i've personally learned a lot from um theologies that are in conversation with each other and and that's where we can 
we take a whole other episode to get into just, just like the, the the value of of looking at things from intersectional lenses and uh, and specifically uh, yeah learning from uh, learning from experiences and theologies that are uh, that are outside of of our own experiences can can just bear so much good fruit and uh, and I think it's really uh, it's really important for us to continue to lean in and see where we can where we can do that where we've been in either bubbles or echo chambers um not even just to to go uh everything we might have believed is is necessarily wrong or every every practice we've had is wrong but just going um how can we be informed and grow through um through having these 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 diversity of, of experiences yeah like i always say some of the most valuable spiritual learning i've ever gone through was in reconciling with indigenous populations and just seeing their approach mm. to faith. And like, there's so much you can learn from a different uh, viewpoint of the world, uh, especially when you're actively trying to reconcile a broken relationship with someone uh, like me as a, mm. as a European descent man. I have so much that I need to make up for with these uh, indigenous groups that we've sort of trampled over. And uh, to actively do that while also learning from them and to learn their experiences has been so valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just seeing conversations uh, uh, of, of communities uh, with each other and, um, yeah, learning from, uh, uh, Olivia talked about learning from, you know, um, black liberation theology mm, and, and, right. and queer theologies and, and just the ways that they uh, are able to, um, yeah, inform and intersect with each other and, and just to kind of, again, tie it then back to um, where we're talking about scripture is when, we, when we're really able to take a, take an honest look at this collection of texts we see that it is in conversation uh, with itself and that there mm-hmm. are these different points of view and and audiences and authors and contexts um, that are that are in conversation so it for for me personally it was really kind of liberating when I when I noticed that that's that's actually already kind of going on in scripture mm-hmm. and it's 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 been the flattening out that I think has come from a lot of uh, that has come from from colonialism and white supremacy and the church wanting to kind of, uh, again, box things in and box God in, um, realizing that, yeah, that this is uh, our tradition and even our scriptural texts are this um, diverse conversation with one, one another, like the idea that scripture disagrees with itself at, at some points. Yeah. And, and we certainly see Jesus highlight certain things um, and omit other things. And specifically thinking about when he, uh, declares what when jesus declares um why he's he's come and 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 talks about um uh, being anointed to bring good news to the poor and uh and uh, claim the the year of the lord's favor and uh and then it says in uh, well, i can't remember mark but he, luke but he rolls up the text at that point um and he ro- and one thing that i got that i noticed or, or heard from i'm not sure if it was jared mckenna or richard Rohr, but he rolls up the, the text at the point in which um, it, the text went on to then talk about the day of like God's vengeance yeah. um, and, and violence. And so this idea of this public, um, this public act of, of highlighting and emphasizing what Jesus wanted us to, to see and perhaps omitting other things. And so just, yeah, this idea of growth and, um, and being in conversation, uh, I see that really re- reflected in, in Jesus and scriptures. Yeah, for sure. I um. I definitely grew up in a, in that kind of context of, uh, you know, like getting answers from the Bible and being able to have like the right doctrine and, and have the right ideas that are, um, you know, uh, you, you can feel good cause you're in the right spot. I talked about that in, in my episode mm-hmm. with this. Um, but, 
the the thing about that is that it's like so nice like to be in that space of like having like everything figured out like yeah don't worry about what happens when you die you know that you're gonna go to heaven forever and it's like i know that like when you like actually like when you know that it's so nice it's like just the best feeling to like be certain about all these questions um and sometimes when I get into these conversations about like theology and, and, and navigating these ambiguous spaces, I'm like excited about it. Cause that's definitely where I'm at. And that's definitely like, um, I think, uh, a healthier and realer way to engage with these big questions. Um, but there's, there's a part of me that like mourns the loss of certainty to some extent that just yeah. feels like mm. there's some, like uh, there's, there's something that's so, so, so nice to like, have some level of certainty when when like if our gospel of the hubcast is just like we don't know anything and you're never gonna and it's gonna be really hard and it's not gonna be as nice as when you knew everything it's just gonna yeah. you're just gonna have to slug through it and uh not know anything um there's there's like a mourning there for me um so i'd be interested to like maybe just open the conversation to to both of you as well um uh what what is like the hope of existing in these ambiguous spaces or what is the the good news of uncertainty oh man i think that one of the one of the 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 benefits of existing in these spaces of uncertainty is that we focus less on what scripture looks like from a biblical book view and instead we focus on what scripture looks like in like a lived experience and i find that like personally i see scripture lived through other people you know especially at camp like when we talk about camp ministry you see like people who go out of their way to help others and who live in community and uh you see joy in kids faces and in the staff and it's something that people authentically love it's why people come back even though they get paid barely anything right Yeah. Uh, yeah and i think that when you when you stop trying to find correct answers and uh focusing on the anxiety that comes with being right or wrong you start to instead be your more authentic self uh, and you start to demonstrate the way that the holy spirit is a part of you and it's at play in your life Hmm. yeah that's beautiful um i think uh a big thing for me or what that the good news is that more and more of the spaces like chad described exist so the the that uh, the story of you of you you know receiving communion and being around um, so many people who had who had never been um, embraced or celebrated or affirmed or you know whatever kind of language you want to use had never been invited and accepted at that table before. Um, to me, that is like you said. So much of this needs to be about uh, un- understanding that our lived experience um, is so important, and not just the ideas in our head. And so knowing that those lived experiences are happening that, that the great work of places like generous space um that they're happening um uh, is is huge good news to me and i think that um and that uh, kind of to take a longer arc with it that i think that the hope and the good news is that we are seeing those spaces just grow and there are more and more of them and i truly do believe that the that um that, that there will uh although uh, oppression will endure particularly like i can say safely like in our lifetime at least uh, oppression will will endure um but that we are seeing more and more not just resistance to it um but actually um uh ways uh and spaces that are building something um better and i think that that 
speaks to that there is uh, a real uh, happening right now in um, in the church and in, in faith and particularly in um, in Christianity all, all over the world where we see more and more spaces that are um, that are diving into the the, the just uh, justice rooted and, and inclusive and liberating um, way of Jesus and, and I think what's really exciting for me is that the more I have dove in to the text um, and scripture and, and the gospels, um, the 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 more uh, the more I see uh, that happening in the life of Jesus and and in a lot of the early church. Um, not to say that the early church was necessarily perfect, but that I think that the good news is that we're seeing um, we're seeing uh, the the a real transformation happening uh, in so many different spaces. Um, and a lot of them we don't see like, cause we wouldn't have been at, you know, that uh, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see every uh, generous space event, right. Mm-hmm. Or, or the little moments, the conversations between people where someone is embraced and celebrated uh, for the first time or where someone who uh, has been pushed to the margins uh, gets to, to, to be centered and, um, and employ their, their voice and their power in the Holy spirit. Um, and I think we're just seeing that uh, more and more and that maybe even this year, as there's been so much shifting in the church due to the ways we've had to change things and change the way we practice our, you know, liturgy and our worship. I think a lot of the good news is I think a lot of that is also going to be even accelerated faster mm-hmm. um, because uh, I think a lot of scales are falling off um, eyes. And I think that just looking at, so many churches and and communities that have been engaging real um, real work in the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and in conversations about um, reconciliation and and right relations. Uh, I think that uh, I am really really hopeful that uh, that is going to be a huge turning point um, and that we're going to see uh, more and more spaces. So yeah, so I just I just think that. That that liberating way of Jesus is um, is having more space for regular people to engage with um, than ever before. So mm-hmm. I'm really hopeful about that. Awesome. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, I think that the I, this conversation happened a lot a couple of years ago because it was the 500th uh, um, anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Um, but there's this trend that seems to be the case that every 500 years, there's a huge shift that happens in the church and a new thing happens. Um, so I, you know, I asked that question of like, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable existing in these ambiguous spaces and it's, um, uh, like what's the good news for it. Um, and yeah, I do think that, that part of the good news is that these spaces are kind of uncomfortable and ambiguous because they are like, they're little babies right now and they're going to grow Mm -hmm. into a new and exciting and, uh, um, uh, powerful uh, expression of uh, how to, you know, participate in this faith uh, over the next 50 years, over the next 100 years. So for for me, part of the good news is like this hope of like, oh, what's happening right now? Like, what's like, what's church going to be after COVID? Like, what is this like exciting new thing? Because it does, you know, it offers the possibility of something, something better. Um. Uh, Chad, do you have any uh, like closing thoughts or pieces of wisdom or um, just like last takeaways from from your experience that you want to share with the audience? Not particularly. I would say like don't let your 
grade school math teacher's approach to right or wrong influence your entire life <laughs> like <laughs> be willing to to think differently and to have comfort in the fact that you're a, a beloved child of god no matter what you do or what your thoughts are or what your life is like so yeah mm. beautiful <laughs> there's some good news yeah <laughs> uh chad our uh, our traditional closing question is: What is your perfect day off? Yes, I've been waiting what for this one. So like? I do have a follow up question though about your question. Okay, is oh, this like? Right. Can okay. I like craft my dream world, or is this like in my life right now? And and like it's okay if it's either one. I have an answer for both. I, I don't. I think I think people have often been going with like a specific like real scenario, but I okay. love that you took it that way. So I kind of want to okay. hear both. Yeah. Okay, well, they're, like, very similar, but one is much more exciting sounding because I can craft my own existence. Um, I'd say, like, in terms of actual practical days off, like, if everyone is gone for the day uh, and I have the house all to myself, uh, I would I love to slap on a karaoke track on YouTube and just sing really loud while I do yes. some sort of menial task, like dishes or something. Um, what songs are on that? Oh, man, I, I literally will just type in karaoke on YouTube and start clicking and just let it autoplay. And it's kind of like a challenge. If I don't know the song, I lose a point almost. Uh, but usually oh, it's like, I like I, 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 I'll slay game. some Adele. Sam Smith has some great songs that nice. they've made. I love it. Um, nice. Yeah, those classic, like, my childhood pop songs. So, love it. Yeah. And then maybe end it off with some casual video game playing. I do love a good video game, even today, even though I don't have time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. And, and what about dream world scenario oh dream world scenario very similar but i have dogs um and i live in a secluded mansion (laughs) so i don't have to wear pants nobody can see me through windows (laughs) nice um yeah that's that's like and also i can sing well is the (laughs) the uh, the add-on to that in my dream world it's like i think you're I think your dream world is more in reach than maybe you think it is. I know. You were talking about crafting your whole existence. I was like, I I think that you could get there. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's that far off. Exactly. It's mainly a barrier caused by (laughs) consumerism and capitalism, but whatever. (laughs) I've overcome (laughs) those before. The real estate market. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) At this rate, a mansion is like a single room bedroom in Toronto. Yeah. It's like $3 million. Oh, man. Well, with the uh, well, with the 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 tough news or the bad news of uh, yeah, consumerism and uh, and capitalism and and an, uh, a completely oppressive uh, housing uh, crisis that we're in, um, I really uh, appreciate you coming on and sharing just some really good news with us. Hey, I have some other um, good news if you're interested. Uh, in the uh, middle yeah. of this podcast, I got a yeah. text on my phone, so I, I couldn't help but peek, uh, and I can now book my vaccine appointment this week. So I'm gonna go get That's vaccinated. That's amazing. I know. I was like, good timing in the middle of podcasting. Oh man, I love this ending. Congratulations! With some, some really exciting news. news. Yeah, which is great because it means I can go back and be back in person. Hopefully, teaching soon. Oh, oh, that's excellent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. After your first year being uh, so so tough like this, so that's that's really <laughs> yeah. really exciting. I would love so some normalcy at this point. It would be wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's beautiful. What a way! Like, ah, love the the good news. Great ending. Um, <laughs> To, to go off so yeah just as you've uh yeah as you've encouraged us to just yeah think differently and even like just hold these tensions of course of going yeah maybe we missed the mark but also that the goal isn't necessarily about right ideas or right answers but what's the what's the lived what's the way we're actually living out this faith and um to me that is um and particularly i just want to say like the way that you um 
have been uh, a leader and an, uh, and an inspiration and, and I think uh, a mentor to a lot of people in the camp community mm-hmm. uh, and beyond Chad. And now at, um, at Emmanuel with working with kids, um, that's some really good news for me. And I think that uh, I'm really excited to just continue to, um, to, to have you as, as a person who, who I look up to a lot uh, and, uh, and it means a lot that you would, would come on today. And as we, uh, move into spaces of uh, ambiguity in our faith um, that you to me are an example of the good news of, of the, the just and inclusive and liberating way of, of Jesus. Uh, and that uh, if I, I might not have certainty on anything, but I know uh, if someone asked me the question of uh, who's someone that you would want to connect a young person uh, with to, to learn and grow in their life and faith, I can say that I do have good answers for that. And, and Chad, you are you are definitely one of those people. So uh, thank thank you you for, for being part of our community and for being part of this conversation. today. Uh, I'll put you down as my reference next time I apply for a teaching contract. I'll be like, yeah, I have this guy who's not biased at all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks Adam. I'm I'm very, very (laughs) biased. That's sweet. I'm very biased towards you, Chad. (laughs) Thank you. uh, Yeah, I think it's, uh, and I, and I hope as you continue to um, serve and and teach that, as yeah, as someone who who uh, is an inspiration, I know to particularly um, people in uh, the the queer community and our our community. Um, I think you are an example of how people can really uh, hold their their faith and their um, and their identity uh, as as one and not as conflicting things. Mm-hmm. So just thank you for for who you are, Chad. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's a bucket list mm-hmm. item down. I've always thanks wanted to be Chad. on a podcast. So <laughs> love it. Awesome. Well. This just barely counts. Yeah, <laughs> close <laughs> enough. Amazing. Well, uh, that is it. Signing off uh, for this week. I'm Adam. I'm Tim. Oh, uh, and I am Chad. Follow me on Instagram at the Cool Director. At the uh, Cool Director. Yeah. <laughs> haven't posted in a year, but it's okay. Mind those archives. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Let's do that.